0: Today, here on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.
1: You're not going to make yourself righteous. Jesus said, well, you have to be perfect as my Father's perfect. You're not going to get there. I don't care how much you come to church. I don't care how many times you've been baptized. You're not going to get perfect. The only way we can attain that kind of perfection is through Christ.
0: Hi there, and again, welcome to Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We return to the book of Romans, dead to sin, alive to God, Romans chapter six, verses five through 11. Now, as we begin our time together today, we do so in Acts 26, slight detour to remind ourselves of who it is exactly that pens this epistle to the church at Rome. With today's broadcast of Graceful Truth, Here's Pastor Steve Converse.
1: All right, well, you can turn over Acts chapter 26 because I want to read a portion of Scripture before we get to our passage in Romans. In this passage of Scripture is really Paul's testimony before Agrippa. And I want you to understand the man that wrote the book of Romans in much of the New Testament wasn't all, always on God's side. At one time in his life, he was a pretty unsavory individual doing everything to oppose God. And uh, I just want to read this section of Scripture. You can follow along in your Bibles, Acts chapter 26, just a few pages to the left of the book of Romans there. And this is Paul's defense before Agrippa, the king there. He says, so Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. And here's what he said. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense against you uh, against all the, today, against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you, To listen to me patiently. Now remember, Paul here is in chains. He was arrested for preaching the gospel. And so he's trying to give King Agrippa a defense and maybe a little bit of perspective on his own life. So in verse 4 he says, My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time If they are willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee, and now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they can earnestly worship night and day, and for this hope I am accused... Um, by the Jews, O King, what is, what is it thought incredible, why is it thought incredible to any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Now he's talking about before he came to Christ. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints, the Christians, in prison and after receiving authority from the chief priests, but that when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues, and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them, even to foreign cities. So Paul was not on God's side, clearly. And then in verse 12, he goes on, he's giving his testimony here, and he says, in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and the, com- the commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice to me in the Hebrew language saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things to which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, uh, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes, so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins in and in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God performing deeds in keeping with repentance. For this reason the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day I have had the help that comes from God and so I stand here testifying both to small and great saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. That the Christ must suffer and that By being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was first, as he was saying these uh, things, in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words, for the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day, might become such as I am, except for these chains. When you read about the Apostle Paul when he was Saul, his name was changed when he became a Christian, uh, you realize that this man was, he was obviously a Jew, and he was a very prominent Jew. He was a Pharisee. He kept all the law. He did everything that a Pharisee needed to do to look Pharisaical in the eyes of the people. And not only that, but he really thought that he was doing God's will. He thought that somehow the Christians who rose up were going to somehow cause a problem for the Jews. And so he was just doing what he thought was the right thing to do for his religion, which he was committed to. Unfortunately, it was out of God's will, clearly, and God had to make a personal appearance to him. On the road to Damascus, when he was going to persecute more Christians, God stopped him in his tracks and said, hey, who are you persecuting? What do you think you're doing? And, uh, and this is Jesus who's talking to you, by the way. And it was a life-changing event in the life of Paul. And you have to stop and you have to ask yourself, what possibly can change a life like that? What possibly could change a life so dramatically and so totally from something that was totally anti-God, against God, to somebody who was for the cause of Christ? I mean, in a way, it would be like seeing a, one of the characters of ISIS, the radical brand of Islam. They're out beheading people and killing people and raping people and they all doing they're doing it for a religious cause and then God transforms their life and all of a sudden they're doing the work of God for Christ that would be a radical transformation and you have to stop and you have to ask yourself how is that possible i mean are these guys just turning over a new leaf i don't think so i mean how did it happen that paul when he wrote 1 Timothy chapter 1 there, he says, I was a blasphemer and injurious, but the Lord counted me faithful, putting me into ministry. 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 6, it tells us that homosexuals and murderers and adulterers and fornications, uh, fornicators and people like that will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And yet it says this, And such were some of you. <laughs> wow. What is it that dramatically changes a life? Well, the answer is found for us in our text in Romans chapter 6. And he's been telling us over and over again that we're all on an equal playing field, that we're all lost in our sin, that we all need a Savior. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not a person in this building today that can say, oh, no, I'm above all that, I'm perfect, I'm someone who doesn't sin. No, we all sin. And we know we sin because the Spirit convicts us of our sin. And what God is trying to get across to us is that we all are in this same boat together. There's not anyone in the world that is not classified as a sinner. And so when you stop and you think of this new life in Christ, all right, what makes that radical transformation possible? I mean, Jesus Christ can totally change a person's life from the inside out. He's done it for me. I'm sure he's done it for many of you. And we could go around the room and we could share testimonies. Oh, before Christ, I was this, I was that. I was into drugs. I was an alcoholic. I was a gang member. I was this. I was, you know, whatever it might be. And yet, when I came to Christ, when when Christ transformed my life, something changed. In the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verse 20, it says this, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ, what, lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I mean, think about that for a second. I am crucified with Christ. You're going to see that when we enter our text in Romans 6, that we have been crucified with Christ. And yet, Paul says in Galatians, nevertheless, I live. You know, it's Christ that lives in me. It's not my old self-living, it's Christ living through me. And that's an important point to understand when we enter the Christian life. That it's not just business as usual when you become a Christian. The moment we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, by this divine miracle of transformation, we are crucified with Christ. We are buried with him, the Bible says. We die in his death, and then we rise, the Bible says, in the newness of life. We're transformed. And that's what Paul has been talking about here in chapter 5 and beginning in chapter 6. He's going to continue all the way through chapter 8. And it's this process we introduced last week about sanctification, the idea that God is slowly molding us and making us, making us more holy, fashioning us into the image of his Son. That's the process of sanctification, the process of God making us more set apart from this world. Now, positionally, we are set apart from this world. But practically, we live in this world every day. And so we have to figure out a way to deal with the sin and everything that's around us. And that's really what Paul is introducing here in chapter 6. And today we're going to do a lot of review from last week because I have to clarify a lot of things that I said because I think maybe it, it opened a more of a can of worms than it, and it did help you out. But I, I want you to understand clearly what Paul is saying here in Romans. And so I want us to focus on this text and uh, Romans chapter 6, and I'm just going to read the entire passage. We're not going to get through this all today. Romans 6, chapter 1, or chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. Up to this point, Paul is telling us we have to be saved by grace. We're saved by grace. We're not saved by works. Coming to church doesn't make you a holy person. Going to the confessional doesn't make you a holy person. Being baptized doesn't make you a holy person. The only way to become a holy person is to be saved by the blood of Christ. To come to Christ and to throw yourself upon His mercy, like the person in the in the New Testament who stood on the corner and, and basically raised his hands to heaven and said, "Be merciful to me, a sinner, O God." And that's what we need to do. We need to come to the end of ourselves. The more you try to work on your salvation, thinking that somehow you're gaining God's grace by doing certain things in your life, you're not going closer to God, you're going further away. Now, on the outside, you may look real spiritual. You know, you may go to church seven days a week. So what? That doesn't mean anything to God unless you've accessed His grace and the faith that He's giving you through Christ. But here in Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, Paul asks this question because in chapter 5, he says, verse 20, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And so if I'm saying that you're saved by grace, not by works, and the more you sin, you'll never out-sin God's grace. Some people, unfortunately, conclude that, well, then go for it. (laughs) You know, if if God is going to give me more grace, the more I sin, then why don't I just sin more so I can get more of God's grace? And he knew that that's what they were thinking. Because he just got done telling you can't be religious. You can't work for your salvation. It's all by grace. And he takes it to the point of saying that even where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. You can't outlive God's grace grace you can't out sin god's grace but there's a caveat to that there's there's a you have to put that in perspective and so in verse one of chapter six he begins to ask this question look at what he says what shall we say then are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means absolutely not paul says no 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 a million times no Don't even think that way. Get that out of your mind, he says. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I remember reading in the Daily Bread a little story about a man who was freshly married newlywed young man and he actually forgot he was married and so after they came back from their honeymoon he went out and went to work and he was getting home late from work one evening and absentmindedly, he actually went to his mother's house instead of his new bride where their home was Um, you know you can kind of give a tip to newlyweds you know that's that's a pretty uh, a bad thing to do don't forget you're married But it's easy sometimes to do if you've been single for a long time and all of a sudden, wow, you have this big change. And it seems kind of, you know, hard to believe that somebody would actually do that. But when you stop and you think about it, it's fairly common among those who are married to Christ. Those who are saved. Those who have been baptized into Christ. We're joined to him as a bride, the Bible says. So now that we're members of his body, that's what Ephesians 5, 25 and 33 says. We're identified with him in his death, in his resurrection. And so, because of that, the power of sin has been broken. That's what he says there in verses 1 through 4. But we forget this essential truth, I think, every time we fall into sin. We forget that. And Paul is really answering the charge that his teaching that god justifies the ungodly by grace through faith alone apart from any merit will somehow lead to people sinning more see they they they, the jews would go out and they would tell people everything they can't do you can't do this you can't do that you can't do this and so after Paul became a Christian, he realized, wait, we're not saved by what we do, we're saved by what was done for us on the cross. And so he, he, his message radically changed. Rather than going around as a Pharisee telling everybody, oh, you have to do this, you have to do this, and then God will accept you, his message all of a sudden became, you know what, it doesn't matter what you do, it matters what was done for you, and whether you're, you're willing or not to put your faith and trust in the work of Christ. Because you're not going to make yourself righteous. The Bible says, well, how righteous do you have to be? Jesus said, well, you have to be perfect as my Father's perfect. You're not going to get there. I don't care how much you come to church. I don't care how many times you've been baptized or whatever. You're not going to get perfect. The only way we can attain that kind of perfection is through Christ. And we have to be reminded of that. That our union with Jesus Christ is completely opposed to a life that continues in sin. It's like black and white, it's like night and day. Our identification with Christ in his death and in his resurrection, it frees us, the Bible says, from the slavery to sin and allows us to walk in the newness of life. I mean, stop and think about it. When you became a Christian, did your life change? Was your life transformed? Was there a sense of coming out of the darkness of this world and into the light of God's glory? Because, brothers and sisters, if, if, if you can look at your life and say, well, nothing's really happened. <laughs> no, there was no change. I mean, I started going to church. That was about the only change. Took an hour out of my week every, day, every, 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 every week you know, to go to church, but nothing else really changed. I behave the same way, I think the same way, I act the same way. Then we got a problem. Because you have to ask, did that transformation take place? And so Paul knows that we're prone to forget our new position in Christ. I think one of the major problems with believers today is that they forget who they are in Christ. Or maybe they've never been taught who they are in Christ. And that's really the foundation for holy living. So he hammers it out here in these verses. And here is just Paul's flow of thought is this. In verse 4, he says that our baptism pictured the spiritual union that we have with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. And the practical result of that is that we might now walk in the newness of life. Our life is to be new. Something's different. Something's changed when you become a Christian Verse 5 really supports and explains verse 4, because verse 5 opens up there with that word for. He says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And then in verses 6 to 7, Paul expounds on this first half, <clears throat> first half of verse 5. So he states something in verse 5 at the very beginning, and then he says, let me explain what I mean. And he does that in verses 6 and 7. And then in verses 8 and 10 of chapter 6, he explains the second half of of verse 5. So 6 and 7 really deal with that we're no longer to be slaves to sin. Verses 8 through 10 deal with the second half of verse 5 that shows that we will also live again with Christ. And he explains begins to unfold and unwrap the implications of Christ's death and his resurrection so that we can understand further what our union with him means. And mainly he has in mind, just so you know, that break with sin and a new life in God. That demarks the Christian life. That, that marks out those who are in Christ and those who are not.
0: Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m., We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade 5. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org while you're at our website make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at graceful truth including past programs of graceful truth that you can download for free gracefultruth.org is where to go if you're writing to us our address is 2225 euclid avenue that's 2225 euclid avenue we're here in redwood city the zip code is 94061 and again our phone number is 650 650- That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.